This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thanks for being here today. Today on the show, we have Dr. Jenny Nuccio joining us. Jenny is the founder and CEO of Amani Collective, which exists to empower artisans through dignified work, opportunity, and community. She's going to tell us all about that in this episode. Uh, She lives in Kenya with her three kids and husband. She has her doctorate of education and a nonprofit training program, which has developed into a social enterprise and holistic women's empowerment. Jenny went on a short-term mission trip when she was 18 and identified some problems with that model and ended up moving to Kenya and she's been living there for years now. She's also the author of a new book called Let It Be Wild. I love that so much. And she's the host of the Moxie podcast. This is a really uplifting and encouraging episode and I hope you enjoy getting to know Jenny as much as I enjoyed getting to know her. If you would like to support this podcast, you can check out my Patreon page, patreon.com slash And one of the best ways you can support it is by sharing it with your friends on social media or just texting it to your group chat and also leaving us a quick rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Friends, thanks for being here and enjoy my conversation with Dr. Jenny Nuccio. All right, friends, today on the podcast, we have Jenny Nuccio on the show. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, Dr. Jenny Nuccio. Yes. You can just call me Jenny, though. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny whenever I have somebody with a doctor credential, once I say Dr. Jenny Nuccio, then I never know, like, do I continue saying doctor every time I say their name? I only you know I, mean? I only make my students, and I don't even make my students. I'm like, they can call me Dr. Jen, Dr. Nuccio, professor. I, I teach also, so I'm like, you can call me whatever. Um, I, I thoroughly am happy that I have that credential, but it's not like, I know some people that are like, you have the credential, you're going to call me that credential. That's not so much me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get it. It's like I spent years of my life getting this credential. I understand that respect that people might want. Yeah, yeah. Even when I wrote my book, my team was like, you have to put Dr. Jenny Nuccio on the book. And I was like, I just don't – this feels funny. So (laughs) anyways, I did. It does say doctor on it. Um, So anyways. (laughs) Okay, your book, which I'm super sad I have not read it previous to this – interview because the more I listened, I was like to you on different podcasts and whatnot. I was like, Oh, I wish I would have read this. Um, let it be wild. Mm -hmm. I like want that tattooed on my arm now. What, how did you even name your book that? And is that just like a motto of your life? Yeah. You know, I, I think it has become a motto of my life, but wild was always a negative connotation in my life for a very long time. I grew up in Texas um, when I was 18, started, um, well, went to Kenya and that radically um, changed my life. So i um, been in Kenya now for 13 years and that's wow. where life is and home is and all my babies are born here. This is life. But 
yeah, so I was always coined wild. Oh, Jenny, our daughter, like my friend, that cousin, whatever. She's the wild one in our family. My whole family's still, you know, in, in Texas and, and doing awesome. And I just kind of, you know, did a different path in life. And so that really got to me as I like started my journey in entrepreneurship, started my journey in social impact and like and I always felt really misunderstood as well. Um, and so when I was sitting down and writing my story, because Let It Be Wild is just a capture of my story, my testimony from just how I even got to Kenya. I think a lot of people thought I was writing a social entrepreneurship book, like 101. And that's not <laughs> that is not what you're going to get. You're going to get all the all the tea about me and like my life. Um, but yeah, when I when I wrote it, I was like, you know what, like. In the last three to five years, it's been a journey of kind of taking that apart and being like, what is wild? Because to me, wild is not crazy. It's not reckless. It's not this negative connotation. It's truly being aligned with who you were made to be. And that's going to look wild to the world when you actually step into that and you actually say yes to the things that you were created to be. And um, and so, yeah, that's where I got Let It Be Wild. And I realized over many, many years that being misunderstood was actually my superpower. And I was like, I really need to push into that and just be confident in that. And yeah, just be me. Let it be wild. Living wild in Kenya. Wow. So mm -hmm. you, you said you went there when you were 18 for the first time. I did. What, what was the purpose of that trip? Yeah, I went on a mission trip and I realized all the things that I didn't want to be a part of. <laughs> I like took a lot of like, I have a very love, um, very interesting uh, relationship with short-term missions. I think they're really awesome. Yeah. I think they also can be really hurtful. Um, and there's there's a mix, but a short-term mission trip did get me to where I am today. So I have to acknowledge that as part of my story. I think I took from that trip things that, um, yeah, really opened my eyes. And, and I really, for the first time, realized I came from privilege and realized I came from all of these other things that I for sure. Didn't even know I was taking for granted, you know, and then, but then also realized, um, and learned so much from a culture that knows about relationship and knows about how to love deeply and knows how to be present and have compassion. And, and so, yeah, I took a lot from that in that first trip. And I actually said, okay, God, I'm never, I'm never going back to Kenya because I was like, I, I can't be, I don't need to be here. I can't be used here. I don't, and there were again, some parts that I didn't really want to associate or be a part of, um, and then I came back in 2010 and 2011, 2012, and kept being used in, in different ways um, and learned how to radically listen to the community, learned to um, build and immerse myself. You know, when I finally sold everything and moved to Kenya, it was this constant pursuit to like get to where I, where I am today. Like it wasn't ever anything when you meet people who do um, any type of business as missions or missions, it's a lot of it is like they knew from the beginning, like that's what I'm going to do. And that was never me. Um, I knew that I just wanted to be a vessel for change. I knew that I was really good at leadership development. That's my expertise. I knew that I could build really strong cultures. And even at a young age, that was just something um, that was part of my talents and, and could gravitate, like bring really cool people together. And so that's the nature of how our business, Imani Collective, got started was just building it with uh, the women of the village that I lived in. So I sold everything and I moved into that village and we built that together. It was never the Jenny show. It was never my idea. It was always our ideas together. And how could we leverage that to be um, something greater? So, Wow. Uh, we are going to talk about Imani Collective. I want to 
dial in on what you were talking about, though, with short-term missions, uh, what you were talking about, like how they can actually be hurtful and things like that, Mm -hmm. like these short-term mission trips. Because most of the people you know going on these mission trips want to do good, believe Mm -hmm. they're doing good, and there's no, like, ill feelings toward why they're doing it, but they might not understand. So can you just, like, talk about that a little bit more? I feel like I'm not explaining it very well, and maybe you can (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this is like what I I mean, this is the hard dialogue I like pushing into because I think and I mean it's the nature of uh what I've yeah, kind of built and become known for I think of talking about this like how can we be utilized for good? I think we are all have um we're well intentioned. We have good intentions, but good intentions doesn't always lead to great impact. Um when we think of impact, we naturally most of us are optimistic and be like, "Oh, I'm creating impact." And that's a ripple effect of like goodness. But the reality of the definition of impact, it, it creates an impression and that impact can be negative or positive. And a lot of that you don't see because you've left. Um mm-hmm. so you might come in and you might create something, you might be culturally insensitive, you might not, you know, all these different things that happen and um, that ripple you don't necessarily see. So right then that short term, we feel good. We've utilized maybe our, our talents and our, and our, the use of our hands, or we've, you know, come into a community and we're like, yay, um, we did great. And all of that is awesome. I, I never want to tear down anybody who's doing that because there are very desolate situations and places that do need, um, a lot of help. Um, the the nature of aid, though, and humanitarian work and aid and nonprofit, especially in development aid, is aid is supposed to be temporary. And when we create a perpetual cycle where aid is always needed, then something is off. Something is not right. If in fact, if we are a, a founder of something or we're we're a president of something, we should be like uh, trying to get um, train people up, and we lose our jobs in the end. That's the nature of aid. Like there shouldn't be you know, any, we shouldn't have to have that continuously over and over again. Now, I think the biggest posture that I say that can change a whole short-term mission trip is the individual itself, understanding that you're not coming in as better. You're not coming in to save a community. You're not coming in with, again, better ideas. But if you go in with the posture to learn and to grow and to experience, that heart posture alone changes the whole ex- that whole experience, one for yourself, but also for the people that you're coming besides, because you're coming beside to learn. You're coming beside to see that we are humans together. We might come from different cultures, but in fact, we struggle with the exact same things, no matter how, you know, how far geographically we are apart, whether I live in a village or you live in a, you know, in the middle of a city in New York, like we actually have the same issues to the foundational issues, whether that's family or finances or whatnot. And I think not going into a place, I think a lot of us can go into a place, especially like a village or a you know, more um, poverty stricken or a global South type of country. And you can go in and you can think, oh my gosh, these poor people. And the reality is that they might be living their best life and have a lot of stuff that you're not seeing. They might have acres of land. They might be an extremely um, successful farmer, but you're just seeing their very humble living that might not be to the standards or expectation that is of yours. So I think we just always have to go in no matter what into spaces and have open minds. And this is even in the United States. I say this to people like in your backyard, um, in the street next, you know, next to you, there are so many different cultures around you. And we always have to be open-minded to that and open 
um, to what we're seeing and not stigmatize or prejudge, you know, things and put people in a box. Um, so I think we can do that just in the nature of our country as well and be better as that. And then that just makes us better humans altogether. Mm. Yeah. Well, as I'm thinking about this, you know, one of your, the things you talk about is like, live your biggest, what is it? Like live beyond your fear, like live your, live Mm -hmm. your wildest dreams. But like, to get to the place where you are now, like you said, you first did have to go on that short-term mission trip. So it's like somehow if someone wants to invest in these other communities, they have to dip their toes in somehow. For sure. So like what would you – how would you suggest if someone's like, man, I want to do something bigger in this world outside of the community I live in or maybe even outside of my country, like – where do they mm-hmm. even begin in a way that is helpful to, for them and for the people that they might be visiting? Yeah, I would say find organizations that align with your values. Not every organization is going to do it right. Like you're, you are still going to find people or places or or whatnot um, and spaces that you want to align with, and you still will probably find something wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we're all human. Um, and I think we have to have grace on one another, but find a space, uh, in an organization where you're like, whoa, I really like the way they talk. I like that their talk aligns with their actions, whatever. Um, you know, align yourself with what are your top five values? I always tell people and then go Mm -hmm. find people and find spaces that really align with that and then go, go and try and just change, literally just change your heart posture. I think Mm -hmm. it's the white saviorism complex of the West where we just think, okay, we can save the world. Um, I would say I I never in all of my trips ever came in like that. Uh, but I did surprise myself in, in feeling sorry or being like, oh my gosh, this is like, I can think back and it's really hard to think back now. I mean, that was so long ago of my first impressions, but when people come and I can kind of live vicariously through people in their eyes and their thoughts, Um, I'm like, oh yeah, I did once think like that because it's so different. Like we have to understand our cultures are so different. So if we can come in with just an open heart of like, man, I just want to learn what this culture is. And, um, and, and from language to, from food, from even the tendencies of how we eat our food and how we gather and we fellowship, you know, every culture is either task-based or relationship-based. And so the nature of I'm very much more Kenyan than I am American now. I will be most likely late to every meeting, just as I was late to here, except this was technical difficulties. (laughs) But I most likely will be late because I ran into a friend and they're going to be my top priority. I'm going to be present for them. Yes. You know, I think – and when I look back, I can be like, wow, I used to get so frustrated. I remember the first training classes we had and our women would be like 30 minutes late. And I'm like, come on, guys. We need to keep time. And we're to a place where we can keep time now, but, um, but we have to find that balance, right? They're not, you know, as much as they weren't used to that in the beginning, I wasn't used to that either. I was always taught like five minutes is on time. Five minutes early is on Uh time. Right. So it's like understanding the different ways we're raised. Um, and if you just go in with a teachable spirit, um, man, then I, I think anything is possible. Um, if you, if you approach it like that. All right. Listen up. Lagoon Pillows. Oh my goodness. They are back to sponsor the podcast. And let me just tell you, Lagoon is the best pillow I have ever laid my head on in my 39 and a half years of life. I have looked for good pillows for a very long time. And before Lagoon, I was settled on a higher quality pillow I got at Target. Uh, I I mean, I've tried Tempur-Pedic. I've tried other brands and this is by far the best. 
I think because it's so customized. You fill out a two minute sleep quiz, okay? And whether you're a back sleeper, a side sleeper, a belly sleeper, however you sleep, these pillows are incredible. I have the Otter, my husband Glenn has the Fox. They are so perfect when you lay your head on them. And listen, if you want a more firm pillow, they have those options. If you want a more soft pillow, they have those options. And they even send you the filling so you can fill your pillow as full or as little as you want. It is truly customizable. And we all know that like sleep is so important. If you are not sleeping well and the thing that you are laying your head on is contributing to not good sleep, you need to fix it because we are all working really hard to pursue athletic goals and dreams and sleep is so important. So listen, go to lagoonsleep.com slash Lindsay and use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y to get 15% off your order and just then come thank me for changing your sleep life because Lagoon is amazing. All right, friends, back to the show. You know, you're speaking my language though, because when you were talking about that, like find an organization that you align with and the values, I'm like, man, it has been so hard to find a church here in Raleigh because mm. of all those things. Like you're like, okay, this, it checks this box, this box, this box. And we all know like at the end of the day, like no church is going to be perfect. Like not every single um, value is going to align perfectly or the music is going to be just right. And Whoo, it is yeah. tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, yeah, I mean, I just, I even look at, I mean, our organization and we have a beautiful culture, but there's still things that I'm just like, you know, we're going to do something different that maybe someone won't necessarily like. I'll give you a perfect example, our impact report. So we put out these beautiful annual impact reports every year. Um, and most of our, you know, stakeholders and investors in Imani, are, they're all faith-driven. Um, most of our consumers are not necessarily, actually. we re When we rebranded to Imani Kids and we started to create kids items, one of the main things that I said, I was like, we're going to stop selling our story and just getting pity purchases, right? Of like, oh, that's kind of a good product, you know? Because <laughs> that's how most nonprofits, I think, start when they yeah. start making products. You're like, oh, that's a, I think I can figure out how to use that product. You know, you buy it because you're like, you just want to support their cause. And we were once there, you know? And in 2016, I said, absolutely not. We went to New York now, we did all these massive big shows, and I just kept getting the same feedback. And I said, you know what? Like, we're going to sell a product. That is so good in quality and is going to be competitive in the market across the board. And then when people find out what we do, they're going to be loyalists to our brand because they're going to be like, wow, yeah. this is awesome, right? And so the nature of that now is most of our consumers either, you know, potentially aren't believers or have no idea that we have some faith um, in our, like, any of that, because it's, although we do so much of holistic programs and we talk about all the things that we do, you can go to our impact websites, you can find it. It's just not going to be forefront in your face. And so when I do these impact reports at the end of the year, it's, it's this balance of, okay, sometimes I put out a report and I get feedback that I don't share about my, our faith enough, or I don't share about Jesus enough, or I don't share about that. And then we'll put it out another report and it'll be like, oh my gosh, what is this? You're sharing way too much. So it's just like, you never win, right? It's just like, so well, hard. I'm just going to do our values well and someone is going to be happy maybe, or I don't know, <laughs> you know? So I think you just have to feel confident in, you know, who you are. But I think every organization is going to have at least something that we're like, mm, I'm not sure about that, you know? So 
Yeah. Oh, that is so challenging, especially now that you've like changed the way that you do it. Mm. And so that uh, like the face of it isn't necessarily like, oh, this is a, a for good impact company. Right. Exactly. Like you definitely can tell, obviously, where you could tell we're artisan driven, like obviously there's social impact. Um, but we're so much more. We do so many other things that maybe go behind the scenes and we're, we're getting better at storytelling that, but it's not always going to have the faith element that some people want to hear because that's not the nature of even our entity or, you know, we're, we're a for-profit business now and, and, you know, different things. And we still have our nonprofit side um, where people can donate to different programs that we have, but it, it the nature of it is is very different from when we started. And so it's, it is a, it is a fun balance, you know, balancing act. But my hope is that our character always shines that like our guiding principles on our workshop wall. The first one says radiate Christ love. And I tell everyone in our company, like we, sh we're kind, you know, we're kind and we're transparent and we're loving or compassionate and we're, we're, we're an open book. Like I want a money collective too. Like if anyone wants to start a business or they just want to be coached or learn, like they can come to us and we, you know, we have no secrets to hide. And so just in those characteristics alone, that sets us apart and people feel that difference, right? They feel the culture shift and the difference there. And that alone, I'm, I'm really proud of, of just the, the light that we shine, um, and what we represent. Wow. Okay. So my sister wrote this book called Reason to Return. It's about like going back to church and all this. And in one of the pieces of the book, she talks about like um, charitable giving and like the mm -hmm. percentage of people that charitable, charitable give and if they're Christian or not and all this. And I don't have the stats or the facts or anything off the top of my head, but I found that – I found it really interesting. And I'm curious like uh, with your business, your nonprofit, and then your for-profit side, like – what would it be if you weren't coming at this from a faith perspective? Like, would you, do you think you would still be doing what you're doing and could it look the same? If I was coming at it from a faith perspective? Like a non-faith perspective. Like what oh. if you were an atheist or, you know what I mean? Like yeah. how much of your faith dictates the business, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely makes sense. Um, I would say read my book because you'll know that's like intertwined totally <laughs> in all that I do. I'm so embarrassed that I haven't. It's like no, don't before be. these it's, interviews, it's like whose books do I have to read right away and all these things. But <laughs> you will read it and it will be like I am. We're having coffee. I wrote it as if like we're having a conversation. So I um, love it. I want to be doing what I – so first off, I wouldn't be doing what I was doing if I wasn't a believer. Um, I think we have – I don't think I would have had the resiliency to stay in what I do if I wasn't a believer. So first, just me personally alone. Um, I know a lot of really good people um, who are amazing people who are my best friends. And we have very different faith backgrounds and different beliefs. Um, and the reality of that is that's hard to answer because because that's so part part of who I am. But I think there's there's a lot of amazing companies out there that aren't faith-driven that are just really good. Like they're doing amazing stuff. So I think the nature of what we do and how we do it um, is a bit different because I'm um, – and I've had to learn this a little bit backwards because especially faith-driven entrepreneurs that aren't just social entrepreneurs but faith-driven, we make decisions a little bit differently and we have to learn how to navigate the harder conversation. So when I first started as a nonprofit and we moved into a hybrid model in 2021, 
when we did all these things over the last, you know, we've been around 10 to 12 years now, when we, when we did these changes, like I started with a very nonprofit mindset. I started with like, we're doing this together. We're going to make it happen. The Lord is going to provide. And of course, I, I believe all of that, but there has to be some strategy interlined with what we're doing. Right. Um, and I think I, I always ask myself, would I change the, would I change the way I did it? Like if I could go back and I, and I knew all that I knew now, would I change the strategy? Would I change the, the, the start of it? And I don't think I would because, um, the nature of how we started, I mean, was, I sold everything, left a box in my mom's house. And that was, that was how we started. And I think the, the essence of that is what created the foundational culture of who we are. I was, I was living below the means of some of our women in the village and they saw that type of leadership when before most people, if, especially in missions, right, if they're going into a place, they're going to go in, they're going to work, they're going to go out, they're going to be living at a compound or a different space. And I was just in it. And I think that just allowed that really, those relationships to just have such a stronger bond. So although I probably would have added a little bit of more strategy, financial planning, things like, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> that might have been um, – have, um, you know, not taken as many years off of my life with all the stress. But I think <laughs> the nature of just like living in it and doing it, I wouldn't change. Um, and and if I didn't have, you know, faith driving that either, I think – I think it's – I mean, I know that I could it could still happen. I see beautiful companies um, that are doing – like I said, doing amazing things and making some – killer social economic impact. Um, but the beauty and the nature of just who I am and what we do is, is that essence of loving people, um, with this servant leadership, with this compassion, with this transformation in mind, I think it's just a different approach of how you also care for people. Um, we, you know, we have this beautiful holistic approach to empowerment and it's not just offer giving consistent dignified work. It's like, no, we're going to, we have free childcare for you. And we have a food program and I'm going to visit you on the weekends and we're going to have team building and we're going to have extra trainings. And we do all of that because, you know, I want to build that person's confidence and, and remind them that they are worthy um, to have all of this. Because a lot of them who, a lot of our women who stepped into our organization in the beginning and started with training, like, you know, never had any former education before. So it's like to remind them, even in your 30, 30s, you're worthy of being educated. You're worthy of growing. You're worthy of all these opportunities. Um, and the world has told them otherwise. So all they needed someone was, you know, to come alongside them and believe in them. Um, the book, Half the Sky, does that book hold up? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, like all the talk back mm -hmm. in the days, like, um, you know, give a woman an education and like you're helping a whole village. Um, and I read that book like probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. So, so long ago. And I'm like, you know how like books age and you're like, yeah. did that age well? I hope it did. Okay, it did. Good. Yes. Okay, great. And I brought that up because I know with your work, like you have all these artisans making these products and you're, um, mm -hmm. you know, employing all of these people, right. women and men. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do have men on staff now. Okay. Um, tell us about what that looks like. Like what does the company actually look like in, yeah, in so, Kenya? Yeah. So we started with 16 women. It started as a training program only. Um, and then we realized, okay, this is awesome. We trained and they have amazing skill and I we have nowhere to place them because they're in the middle of a village and, you know, there was obviously no job out there. So we became the marketplace really quickly. 
Um, do if you call me a craft business today, I will be very mad at you. But back then, we were a craft <laughs> business. Like you know, we were that like missional. Like here's all the crafts. Like just showing up at churches. Please buy everything. I love uh-huh. the people. I call them my yes, my pity purchases because I'm like yes, you got us through the early days. Um, but then in 2016, we hired our first stateside employee. And I promised her nothing. I said, I don't even know if I can pay you, <laughs> but we need to rebrand this whole thing. And we have the work for a force to do this. Um, but we need people to like, again, we need to make a pretty good product. And so that's how we rebranded to the modern mom at that time and became a kid's brand. We're now multiple brands under Imani Collective and do a lot of different okay. things. Um, but we had 32 women at that point and we were only in our village location. If you fast forward today, we have three locations. Um, the village, which is an hour outside of Mombasa, which is the city we're in. We have Mombasa in the middle of the old city. And then we also have Turkana, which is a region in northern Kenya that does all of our basket weaving. So we have a little over 110 artisans. Um, And when you walk into our workshop, specifically in Old Town in Mombasa, the city of Mombasa, you'll walk in and the first room is full of looms. So we have petal looms. We have five of those, which make all of our blankets and gekois and tea towels. So we do a lot of custom work for people or white labels. So if anyone's looking for, you know, ethical manufacturing, that's something we love to do. And so from the design up, we have all of our looms. We have set looms. So we make beautiful rugs and wall hangings and things like that. Um, All of our supply is sourced in Kenya. So that was one thing that I wanted to make sure that as we built Amani Collective, we were also supporting our community. We were supporting suppliers. So even from the nature of like um, our blankets and our uh, rugs, they're coming from, you know, um, the base of Mount Kenya and that wool and those sheeps. And we're doing all of the carting and spinning and washing and dyeing and all of that in-house in our workshop. Um, and then we have a, our whole tailoring and sewing. We have all of our women on those machines. We have a leather department. So most people don't know this, but we do beautiful leather bags um, that you will not be able to find online. Uh, they're, they're sold here and we do a lot of custom work for that. And we have a whole screen printing department and we just opened our ceramic shop last week, actually. So we're going to start doing pottery. So we have a lot of really cool things happening um, and it's really fun. And then of, up in Northern Kenya, we do all of our um, basket weaving. Like here's a, here's a bag. Like, nice. like basket weaving. Yeah. Wait, so, so. do I have to come to Kenya to buy a bag? Not necessarily. We are trying to, we are navigating all of these new, new ventures and things that we've been, you know, it's fun because we've been doing some of these art forms for years now, like six years, but we're like, okay, now how do we bring this appropriately to market to you guys? Um, Our warehouse uh, in the state sits in Tennessee. So we have a beautiful warehouse team there, but it's like, how do we get that there to get to you guys? But you know, you can always email me, Lindsay, and, you know, do some special ordering. (laughs) (laughs) How can people, because when I looked you all up, I did see a lot of the kids stuff. How -hmm. can we best support the business and the nonprofit? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Yeah. So right now you can go for sure to Imani Kids. We have a brand launching in March that's going to be called Sela by Imani Collective. And Sela will have more of those like the bags and different things. It's for the contemporary travelers. So it's going to have, we're doing it. It's very limited. It'll be capsule collections. So just stay tuned for that. We're really excited. Um, and then on the nonprofit, if you go to Imani Collective, well, ImaniCollective.com will show you all of our brands, but Imani Collective dash R impact shows you everything that we're doing on the impact side. So we're really excited because we continue to, you know, we have a big development project we're doing in Turkana. We just 
uh, actually drilled a water well last week. See, none of these cool. things. We should be talking about these things more. I feel like it's been a whirlwind yeah. of a whirlwind of a year. But yes, yeah, so you can be a supporter there. We have a whole monthly giving program. We do really fun stuff with our donors, um, as well as Giving Tuesday is a really big day for us. We do a 24-hour joy room. So we're really excited. If you go to amanijoyroom.com, you can follow our journey. Um, and we do live updates and we raise you know, our whole Kenyan team is staying up for 24 hours. So it's a pretty crazy adventure and we blow up social media during that time. But yeah. And you can just, you know, you can find us on Instagram, Shop Amani Kids or even mine, Jenny Nuccio. I give a lot of tips on social entrepreneurship and business. So yeah, I was going to say you are also like teaching, doing retreats yeah. and mm-hmm. like, and what do you teach through? Like who you said, my students, who, who are you yeah. teaching? Yeah, so I'm a professor at California Baptist University. I've been there for several years. Um, it's, yeah, been awesome. I also teach a couple other other online classes, but um, I focus um, in the social work department there. My expertise is in social work leadership. So my background is leadership education, leadership development. That's my doctorate. And my research is actually focused in social entrepreneurship and global so- social enterprises. So um a lot of that um, is what I talk about most of the time and teach global human rights and talk a lot survivors of human trafficking. So I teach a lot of heavy topics all the time, um, but it's it's work that I love to do. I think, ed- again, education, just like we see here with our women, education is empowering. And when you educate a woman, it changes the community just in everything else. I think a lot of people and topics um, that are heavy like that are human rights, social work, you know, human trafficking, all these things that we don't maybe naturally obviously talk about um, on our dinner conversations. Um, But when we learn about them and we can dive deep and we can see case studies and we can see testimonies, like we have a better understanding of of our world. We have a better understanding for humanity. So I I love teaching because it just gives people this wide perspective um, where we can respect one another too, a little bit more too. All right, friends, I want to thank 2B4 for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. This is a unique pre-workout that is made up of blackcurrant berries grown in New Zealand that contain high levels of antioxidants called anthocyanins. Blackcurrant anthocyanins are science-backed and benefit-packed. Blackcurrant berries improve your endurance, they kickstart your recovery, and they strengthen your immunity. You can drink it daily 30 to 45 minutes before you work out. I just mix it up with water and take it before a workout. I am loving it. 2B4 is offering an exclusive limited time offer to our listeners. Big discount here, 30%. Nobody does 30%. 30% off 20 packs plus free shipping when you use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y at checkout. Just go to 2before.com. That's the number two before.com and use the code Lindsay. You know, I feel like people listening to this uh, podcast or anybody who like does a deep dive on you, they're like, wow, she's really living with purpose. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I struggle with this myself. Like, Mm. you know, and I I went through this phase like last year. I was like going crazy, like felt like I had like, what is my purpose? And my mom's like, Lindsay, you're raising four boys like that. That's a pretty big purpose. But I still feel this like missing piece. Like, I don't know if it's like a thing that I need to be super passionate about. And I, and I do think it's, um, 
it has something to do with like not helping people enough or whatever, mm-hmm. but I just like, I don't know what to do. I right. give money here. I give money there, I, you know, whatever. But like, it feels a little like I'm missing something. So what would your message be to me or mm-hmm. other people who might feel that way? Yeah, I used to always struggle. Actually, writing the book was really, it was interesting for me to go in that route because I used to struggle with that because people would be like, oh, oh, that's what you did. You sold everything. and You, you moved across <laughs> the world. Oh, what am I doing with my life? I've gone that yeah. my whole life. <laughs> um, and so, it, you know, sharing that, continuing to share that story, it's like, no, I don't want to, one, be put on a pedestal at all because I make just as many mistakes as we all do every day. Um, And at the same time, I don't want ever my story to be a comparison act and Mm. put other people down, right? So I think my biggest encouragement that I've always told people is like, you know, we are made, we're we're truly made to be of service from one another, with one another. We're truly made to be in community with one another. That's why the pandemic was so hard. We were ripped apart and we were isolated and we were going a bit crazy. But it was also, no matter if you're an extrovert or introvert, we're meant to be together. That's the nature of how we're made. And so I think um, no matter if you give, giving is so good. Giving financially is is amazing um, if you're gifted to be, if, if you have the capabilities to do that. But we're also, you know, the the fulfillment of life too is to, is to make ourselves available to, um, I, don't, I wouldn't use the word help, but to just be available. Um, mm-hmm. My husband uh, says it so beautifully when he's talking about discipleship. He says, we do some discipleship all wrong these days. Like where we're like, okay, we're going to set a time and we're going to have coffee and then we're going to talk and then, and then we're going to see each other next week. And that's what we're calling discipleship. But the reality is discipleship is just having an open door policy and inviting people into your life. So if you go for a run in the morning, invite someone to come with you. If you already know you're, you make dinner at 6 p.m every day, um, invite someone to that. Like I think, but it's, it's getting out of our comfort zone of allowing people in our life versus trying to make, you know, take people out, like out and, and, and meeting them in other places. Um, we learn so much from each other when we, when we do life together. And so if we allow ourselves to be more available or have our door open and, um, not play it as safe all the time, then we're going to start to see that. Now the, the, also the reality of that is when you do open your door, there's, there's going to be maybe heartache or hurt or betrayal and all these other things um, that aren't safe that we have to deal with and go through um, potentially, right? Um, and I think at, in those in those points and in, in that in that side, we have to learn how. I mean, that's those are other strings we we learn about as compassion and forgiveness and all of that. And I say that my my husband runs a ministry where he helps boys off the street and does drug rehabilitation. I'm a mother to 19 street youth at any given time. And I have my three young ones as well. So, you know, our door is a revolving door. And so I see that every day of like, if you allow people into your life, you know, um, you'll, you'll see change. But I would go back to the very beginning of our conversation of what are your values? Um, and sometimes we feel misaligned with our purpose because we're not aligning ourselves with our values. Um, a perfect example is, of course, I'm in Kenya, right? So I, I stay up late to have meetings and different things. And my my husband would always want to go camping randomly on Fridays. And I would get so frustrated because I'd have meetings late. And then I realized I can control this. Like, Jenny, just don't schedule meetings on Friday. And then I can have my value. One of my values is spontaneity. My, my friend gives me a hard time because she's like, you had a plan to be spontaneous. And I was like, yes, I did. <laughs> I did have to plan to be spontaneous, but I knew, like, I knew that was a trigger or something that I could control. So I think uh, that's a little of a rabbit trail, but all that is what are your values and then find, f- 
find things that align with those. And, and you might just be suppressing one of those. And then that's actually like pushing your purpose away. And yes, it starts in your home. I mean, for sure. I know that's hard for us as moms to hear um, because we're like, oh, it has to be a little bit more grandeur, but it, yeah, it does start yeah. in our home. Yeah. Um, what's it like raising a family in Mombasa? <laughs> You know, my that's all my kids know. They have these really funny Kenyan British accents. So people are like, Oh my are gosh, I want to hear it. Yeah, they're like, Mama, Mama, how are you today? Like they just have really funny accents. Um, all that to say that's a fun fact. Um I, I love that. I think what I love is that they I mean, they don't necessarily see I, I mean, they're so culturally like immersed. Uh, mm-hmm. I, it's going to be really beautiful to see them grow up and um, and actually like grapple with hard, you know, when we look at political stuff and everything happening to grapple with that stuff and be, because I think it might be confusing for them of why, why do people see people this way and all these like tensions that we exper- especially experience in the States, like why, why, why is that? You know, I think, I think that's going to be interesting because they have they're a third culture kid. They have such a global perspective. Um, the conversations I'm having with my children who are three, five, and seven, I did not have those conversations. So I was 18 or 19 years old. Like those were just, Mm -hmm. it was never had. So it's going to be really interesting, but I'm really excited. Um, I'm really excited for what they get to experience. And of course there's, there's hearts, there's heart, like we're away from, you know, family and grandparents and things like that. You know, they don't get, cool American snacks like goldfish and fruit roll-ups and all these things. <laughs> <laughs> That's like their favorite thing when we bring we bring back some American stuff. But um, yeah, but it's really cool to see they're just compassionate hearts towards, towards everybody. Um, and like you live in the city. Like can you just mm-hmm. explain like what your neighborhood is like? Yeah. So I live specifically in Old Town. So it's the old city. Um, It's actually the nature of Mombasa is predominantly Islamic. And we have um, it's there's lots of Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, Christians. It's like a melting pot of cultures and religions, which is also really cool because um, it's very open here. It's not like anywhere else. So it's Mm. this really cool I don't know. I, I think it's really cool to just see a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds and cultures respect and love one another. And um, even if we differ in faith or we differ in background and stuff. So I love that my kids get to grow up in that as well. But yes, we live in the old city. If you think of like, um, well, just look up Old Town Mombasa and you can Google map, Google map us. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, really old buildings are the house we live in is over 300 years old. So like oh, older wow. than the United States. Um, and so, you know, I, it might be even 400 and something. Yeah. So this it's, there's just tons of history and, um, it's really, it's really fun. Um, other sides of Mombasa are like a little bit more modern, but we choose to live in kind of the old Portuguese, uh, side of the city. So, um, yeah. Wow. And then do you have American friends that live over there? I do. They're very rare. Um, but they are here. Um, I have a beautiful community. And in fact, I used to isolate myself from community because, again, I felt so misunderstood. So I think you have two sides of of the pot when you live overseas. You either have 
people who are here for business and our expat or people who are here that are like missionaries mm-hmm. and missions. And I just felt like I always sat in the middle because I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, and I live in both kind of worlds. Uh, and then I realized, again, community is the root of transformation and I was missing out so much in my life uh, and really committed specifically this year to be like, okay, I'm going to make myself available again for my community and I have really great friends, um, both America, from Netherlands, from the UK, from all over. Um, so it's really fun when we all get together. Community is the root of transformation. I mm-hmm. love that. Okay, wrapping up here, what's one thing professionally or personally you would like to do that you haven't done yet? Oh, man. Professionally or personally? There's still a lot of places I would I would love to travel to. I'm very grateful that I've already – I've been able to explore and do a lot of different things. Um I think I still would like to write another book. I started the School of Ethical Impact uh, in 2021, and we trademarked the term ethical impact. So I would like to actually write a book about ethical impact leadership and what that means um, that I hope in many, many years when people think of ethical impact, um, they think of Imani Collective and that as a model. And so that's like kind of a legacy dream I have of – being able to write more on that academic side. At this point, I'm not ready for that. I'm like, we're going to wait a little bit <laughs> to write and to do that and to, to dive deep. But I think that's, you know, that's a big, that's, that's a big one on, on a kind of a personal front, but also that relates to professionally. Love it. What is the best, most recent book you've read? Yeah. Right now I'm reading in the awe of God, which is interesting um, by John Brevere about the fear of God, which is good. And then I actually just read uh, a book about, what is it? Tra- it's about Trader Joe's and their whole story oh. of how of how they developed uh, Trader Joe's, which has been fascinating as an entrepreneur to be like, wow, you were so innovative. And to realize, I think some of us might think Trader Joe's, it just has happened in the last 10 years, but it has been such, it's so much longer than that, which I had no idea. So to hear the history of it, So I don't know if that's an interesting book for anybody, but that's for me. I don't read a lot of fun books and I thought it was a fun book for myself as an entrepreneur. I always read a lot of like heavy, heavy textbooks uh, for school and stuff. So yeah. I mean, I love Trader Joe's. That is the only grocery store I go to. It's okay. Like these stories are fascinating. I was like, okay, okay, Joe. Yeah. That's my that's my spot. I mean, they they win because like it's because they don't have as many options. It's like it's I don't know. Um, I will yeah. say though, I went on Sunday with three of my kids, and I was like, "Get me out of here!" It was yeah, so no, easy. no. Whew. Um, what is your last message to leave with the audience? Uh, I w- would go back to to not be afraid of who you were always meant to be. Uh. To, to where we started in this conversation of there is a wild inside of you that we've tamed. We've naturally tamed that as we get older. Uh, if you can think back of the last time you played when you were, or if you can think back as a kid, right, when we played and we were creative and we had the permission to do so because nothing told us not to. And then somewhere down the line, we, we, we stopped doing that because we think, we have to be in this this certain way in this certain certain look or whatever it might be professional family whatever the pressures are um but and so that suppresses creative creativity i think everybody is creative just creativity looks different and all it doesn't mean you're an artist like you might be um, creative in your spreadsheets i'm telling you you can be creative in that right <laughs> 
So I think, what does that look like for you? What is your wild? And to not be afraid to pursue that uh, because uh, that sometimes is where we feel, right? The lack of purpose. So go in there. Um, don't be afraid to be misunderstood. Um, don't let the world tell you or conform to the world. Um, we were truly made to be out of this world and the world is going to say that's crazy. Um, but yeah, just let it be wild um, and, and be yourself. Let it be wild. Jenny Nuccio, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, friends. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Jenny, for coming on the podcast. You all can follow Jenny on social media. She is Jenny Nuccio. That's N-U-C-C-I-O. And definitely check out Amani Collective. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 on Instagram. I'd love to connect with you there. Learn more about this podcast and all the shows in our network at sandyboyproductions.com. Thanks so much for being here. And we'll see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?